Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Hey, uh, before we get into it, I see a couple new babies back there in the back. Yeah, we have Gabby, and uh, we have John and Heidi's. I don't know if the baby is with them, but welcome in the nursery. So later on, um, so it's so awesome when the, the first time to church. I was born on a Sunday, but not in church. I think my mom uh, brought me to church the next week, maybe, if I, if I know how she was. So, all right, it's good to see you guys, and... Uh, Church growth, amen? It's awesome. Let's go in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, and I'm going to wait, and we're going to address the text near the end here. I don't know if you've noticed this trend that's happening in our world of of uh, people kind of dropping out of the workforce, and um, we're seeing a lot of positions that are not being filled, and a lot of people are asking for people to work. And if you go to a restaurant, uh, <laughs> sometimes there will be a lot of tables empty, and you wonder why you can't get in right away, and it's because not enough servers. And and I was thinking about this a lot, and I know that there's a lot of reasons that contribute to this. One one reason is is that a major portion of our workforce is baby boomers, and a lot of them are retiring, and so less and less working in that regard. But but I also think that there are some people that are not checking into the workforce, or they've checked in briefly and decided, <laughs> can you imagine this? It's not for them. It's not for me. Working is not. Can you imagine having thought about that a generation ago? I'm sorry. Working's not for me. Uh, it's kind of a, a sad situation and state of affairs. And uh, so t- today, you're going to hate this, but I'm going to talk to you about work. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about work. I, I don't know if you'll hate it, but a lot of times by the time we get to Sunday, we're not ready to think yet about Monday. And uh, let me ease your mind a little bit. The work is much bigger than job. You know what I mean by that? That your work in this world is not just your job. Your job is part of your work. And so it's like talking about dogs, and a poodle is a dog, but it's not all dogs. And so your job is the poodle in that picture. You've got more, you've got more to life than just the job that you go to, but your job is part of your work. And so I want to talk about our sacred work. I don't know if you caught this. It, it just occurred to me as we were worshiping that... Um, the word holy kept coming up in our worship. Did you notice that? Okay, if you didn't, it did come up. We sang, uh, in fact, uh, the trifold, holy, holy, holy. And then uh, we sang another song at the end that had uh, referred to the holiness of God. And, and holy is related to the word sacred. And it has to do with something that's set apart to the Lord. And so I want to talk about our sacred work. And I think uh, there are three places that we often go wrong in regards to our work. And, and the first one is the the thinking that work is the consequence of the fall. I used to think this, that the reason we have to go to work is because we sin and God is punishing us by making us go do a job. Okay, if you've thought that, uh, I would like to challenge you with Scripture that uh, in Genesis 2.15, it says that God placed man in the garden to work it and to care for it, okay? That's prior to the sin. So in other words, the calling to be workers, the calling to vocation, 
which vocation is, is a word for calling, that you feel like you have a calling to a certain uh, task or responsibility within life, that precedes the fall. That means that this is an enduring, um, a legacy kind of thing, that we continue to work even beyond perhaps a job, and it's not just because of the fall. In fact, did you know this? I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to burst your bubble if you're one of those who are like, working's not for me. Um, I, want, I want you to know that in heaven, we're not sitting on clouds and playing harps. We'll have jobs. Do you know that? That God's got something planned for us beyond this, and that's going to be rewarding. So I would challenge the idea that work is something that's a consequence of the fall. In fact, uh, one of the things that happens as a result of our work is that it helps us to find purpose in life, and God invites us to work within His creation and to join Him in working. Okay, so that's the first thing. Another misunderstanding that we often have about work is the division between sacred and secular, okay? Sacred means that which is holy. Secular means of this world. And so sometimes we make a division. And I would challenge that thought too, that if you're a Christian, there is nothing secular. All of life to you is sacred. Are you with me? There is no secular, okay? There are things out there that we shouldn't be doing. If we shouldn't be doing them in a sacred way, we shouldn't be doing them at all. Are you with me? Okay, so there's not a division like that. In fact, uh, do you know that the the outworking of that is that work is unspiritual. The spiritual things we do is when we come to church on Sunday morning and we sing songs and we pray for people and we love on God and we read the Scripture. And then we go into this other format of life called everyday living where we work. And that's not spiritual. Do you know the Bible says that God works? We sang about his works a moment ago. Jesus, when he came in either John 5 or 6, in a passage I didn't have time to look up, but I know it's there, and you'll recognize it. Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus is a worker. God is a, is a worker. He's got work to do, and he continues to work. Do you know, <laughs> I've, I've thought of this often, about how God in uh, six days created the heavens and the earth. What's he working on now? Our house, okay, good. Something a little closer to home is what I'm thinking about. Us. <laughs> and he can create heaven and earth in less than a week, and he's taking a lifetime on us. He's working with resisting material, <laughs> kind that likes to fall off the, the, the table, right? And so it's, it's awesome to see that he's con- committed to that kind of work, but work is not secular, while worship is uh, sacred, both are sacred to the Lord. And the third misunderstanding is this. We've already talked about it a little bit, that the job, a job is the same thing as work. And so uh, I want to say that because if you're retired today, there's still a work for you to do. Or if you've not yet entered the workforce in terms of maybe you're too young, you might be between be, before you're 18 or whatever, and you're a student right now, that's your work, Okay. Take it seriously. Man, I wish I would have taken it seriously. I'm not going to go down that road. But I want you to know that that's important work. There is a work for you to do and a calling in life. And one of our subtle enemies of Christian spirituality is that uh, some have let it return to a localization. Now, there's a quote by Alistair McGrath, and I have it later in my notes, but I think it's appropriate to mention here. He's a a British um, apologist apologist. 
He said, uh, work has lost any spiritual and eternal significance to our generation and is important only insofar as it fosters certain qualities of personality. In other words, work is only rewarding in modern thinking if it somehow makes us feel better or do better or something like that. And so it becomes all about us. He says evangelicals need to recover the notion that uh, of the spiritual dignity of work. The work, work ethic has become reduced to working for the weekend. Okay? I challenge that too in our jobs that we're not just working to get a paycheck and working for the weekend, but that we're, we're finding in our work some significant contribution to the things of God. So one of our subtle enemies is this idea of localization or compartmentalization like there are these parts of life. And I think this really goes back to, uh, in the Old Testament, you remember that oftentimes they had the sacred and the holy division. Like these things, yes, these things, no. This is to be holy unto the Lord, and certainly we are too, but um, you go to this particular place to worship, right? To the tabernacle, in time to the temple. You go there to worship. And then there are shrines that are set up all over the land of Israel, and there's the holy land, and there's this idea that holiness is localized, okay? So you have your everyday living, and then you have your holy places. And this created a division that ran right through the minds of all Israelites, and Isaiah had to address it. He said, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They come to the temple, and they do all the sacred things, and then they go out into the marketplace. And by marketplace, I don't just mean the place where things are sold. I'm talking about the business world, the world away from the tabernacle or the temple, and there they defraud one another. And he said, this is wrong. God sees it. And don't act like God doesn't see it, because God doesn't see in the life of his people a division between secular and sacred. All of life belongs to God or none of it does. Okay, So I would encourage us that we not have that. So a lot of people have brought that thinking. That's an Old Testament kind of way of thinking, and it's even broken then. In the New Testament, Jesus, we see him already doing away with that. He meets the Samaritan woman in John 4, and he says uh, to her, uh, give me some water, and they have this long conversation. Then it comes to this. Your fathers worship on this mountain, and our fathers worship in another place. And he says, there's a time coming when the location will not be important. He doesn't say it just that way. He says, it will neither be on this mountain nor that mountain, but those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, worship has has moved beyond places. Okay? And, and I want to develop this for a moment because later on in the New Testament, we hear uh, of the destruction, the coming destruction of the temple, where people won't localize in the temple to worship anymore. And then we're going to hear in Acts chapter 6 and 7, Stephen, who preaches, he says, God can't dwell in temples made by human hands. He's bigger than that. And he, he re-preaches Solomon's sermon when Solomon built the temple. And, and the essential argument of Stephen is that worship is everywhere and in everything that we do, or it should be. So we're starting to see this layout. There's not coming to this place to worship and going to that place to work. All of life is worship. All of life. And it matters then how we do our worship. Okay? 
Now, I'm substituting here, and just for subtlety's sake, I'm substituting here our work for worship. Do you realize that when you go to work, that is an act of worship to the Lord? I'm going to come to our text in just a moment, but I, want to, I wanted to say some things first. I think it's important that we understand that we are called to work. Now, I've had some conversations with people since I started writing this message, and and uh, I want you to know if I've had a conversation with you about work between now and uh, three or four weeks ago, that none of what I'm about to say is aimed at anybody I've talked to. This is all what God wants to say to all of us from Scripture. It's been a burden on my heart. And so I want to challenge us with some of these thoughts today. That we think spiritually. And uh, how, do we, how do we become holy in our work? How do we become holy in our work? Well, I think part of it has to start with that mindset. There's no separation between when I walk out of the doors of the church or my house and into the building where I work. There's no separation in God's eyes. Can we allow that to kind of permeate our soul today? That that's, It's not like you're one person when you're here and another person there, is it? What do we call that? Hypocrisy. Okay, we have to be the same person everywhere we go. So if we can change our mindset, I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing I think we should do in regards to this is we should always do what's right. Okay, that's not, that's not easy. And it, if you're listening and you have an advanced degree in business, you're going to know that some of the things that I'll say are naive, but the principles are true. The principles here are true. That we need to do what's right. And we could expand on that by doing it with the right attitude. And we can take it even further by, by doing it as unto the Lord. And so I would like you to know that the Bible has a lot to say about work. And uh, we already discussed work as part of the original creation and not a consequence of the fall. And we offer our work to the Lord. And he's put us in a place where we can work to make a difference in our world. A uh, few people get to be the prominent figure in work. Do you know that? Like there's the boss, and then there's other people that work for the boss, and maybe you're down the line quite a ways, and you realize that there's a lot of people between you and what would be the top. And you might think that the further down you go, the less significant your work is, but I guarantee you that one guy sitting in the CEO's office is not going to get the job done without you. Are you with me? So it's important to understand the significance of every part of the system. And when we work, we're contributing to something that's larger than ourselves. And if you can't see how you would make a contribution to your company, try to think about it in terms of you're making a contribution to the world. We have lots of people doing different things in this church. And they can all be done unto the Lord. Unless you're doing something that's immoral in your job, in which case, resign. Resign right, then anything we do that's scriptural, we can do as unto the Lord, okay? We have, we have uh, policemen in our church that they're making sure they're doing God's work, helping the peace of our world. Do you know that? We've got healthcare workers that are the touch of Jesus to our world. We've got moms and grandmas, and they're teaching their kids and grandkids how to love God. That's the work of God. Come on, are you with me? We've got construction workers that are taking and building and, and, and uh, uh, building up in this world for good, contributing to our world, helping there to be homes and profitable places and, 
and taking the raw materials God has given us and making good use out of them. We've got engineers and, uh, as I said, construction workers and uh, all kinds of different jobs. I have more listed here somewhere in the notes, but I, I just want you to know that there's a place to work, and if we can't work morally within that system, we need to figure out where we can. But we, uh, we're all part of this system now, and uh, it's, it, we've, it's been established as a consumer society, and I'm not really concerned about that so much. That's another message. I think what's really important here is that within the system, we work to honor God. We work to honor God. So when I talk about work, I'm, I'm thinking of three things. One uh, is that work is part of the reason that we're here. It's prior to the fall, not a consequence of it. And so our work then is honoring the purpose that God has given to us, and it dignifies us as a worker. As I said, work's not exactly equal with a job. And work is carried, uh, is carried on for more than just money. Work makes the world better. It dignifies our existence. It brings us into community with other people. In order for us to get some jobs accomplished, we can't do it all on our own. Uh, anybody find that one of the harder parts of work is dealing with other people. You might think that is a detriment, like why not to work? But it's not. We need to be we need to come into contact with other people that challenge us, rub us the wrong way, annoy us and aggravate us. It's part of God's plan for getting us out of ourselves. Folks, I'll tell you what, we've bought into this whole mentality that it's my world and everybody else is just furniture in it. And that's not true. We need to be around people that challenge our character. You know what I mean by that? Like, you're going to get impatient with some people, and that needs to happen because when that happens, it causes that ugliness to come to the surface. And when the ugliness comes to the surface, you know how they used to purify gold is that they heated it up really hot, and all the impurities rise to the surface, and they scrape it off. And when we go through relational challenges like that, ugliness comes to the surface, and what God wants to do is to help us to see it and then so that we can confess it. And then he can begin to scrape that off. Say, let's, let's, let's get better character in regard to these things. And so what we want to do, though, is we want to flee from those things and hide from them and never be challenged and feel like we're good. You, you see the difference? The difference is that we're not good. We've just masked it by never putting ourselves in situations where we're challenged. But when you get around people, those things will be challenged, and we'll start to see the real character of who we are. God calls us to things like this. He tests us. He doesn't let us remain comfortable because what he's really doing in us is, and this is his work, is making us into creatures that are fit for the heaven he's created. He's making us into those creatures. But we sometimes resist the program. God, I don't want to be in that program. You know how much I don't like that. Well, the point isn't whether we like it or not. The point is what purpose is God trying to perform? Now I'm talking about his work, and which is good. But I want to focus uh, this morning on our calling and doing our very best. I'm not sure I can communicate all of this significantly, but I'm going to try. The Bible says work's important. And uh, back in those days, there weren't a lot of options. We got a lot of options. I was talking to the guy at the pokey counter at Noosa Guy the other day, and he said he had to take some of the options away because people can't handle too many options. And I thought that would be, that fit perfectly in this message. <laughs> 
because sometimes we got a lot of options and we're not happy with all of the options. Can you think about a world where whatever your dad did, that's what you were going to do? And you're going to do it whether you like it or don't like it. That's the world that most biblical people lived in. In fact, until relatively modern times, that's the world that a lot of people lived in. And they could be happy in that world. How is it that we can't be happy with all the choices? Maybe there's too many choices, but you think about the biblical world. Shepherd, be a shepherd. Rarely you could be a king. Get this, in the Old Testament times, if you were in the tribe of Levi, you were called to ministry whether you liked it or not. You were born into it. You're gonna, what, are you, what, am I gonna, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do after you graduate? Well, I'm going to serve in the temple. I'm going to serve as a doorkeeper or a priest. Is that what you want to do? doesn't matter. That's what I was born into. That sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? But do you know that sometimes we cause the world, we ask the world to conform to us rather than conforming to the world, and it may be one of the reasons why we can be so unhappy at times. Anyway, that's another topic. There weren't a lot of options. Work wasn't really well paid oftentimes. But I would challenge us in all of this to think of as work as unto the Lord. I want to take us to a passage this morning. It's going to be a little bit difficult to unpack, but I think it's important. This is Colossians chapter 4, and it's going to deal with something. When we hear it, it may strike us a little bit harsh, but I want to, I want to work through it. It's in Colossians 3. I said 4, but it's 3 actually. Verse 22, we will go to 4. Listen to this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So from our perspective, that sounds really incredible. The Bible should say something like that and not just outright blast slavery. And what I want to insist on today is that what the Bible holds within it is the key to the trajectory that will undo the whole system. Are you hearing what I'm saying? that this sets it on a trajectory that takes it out of a situation where there's great difficulty, and it says if we can start to treat people with dignity in time, the whole system is going to unwind. And we'll come to the conclusions that we've come to at this point in Western society, some of them, that that's wrong and no one should act like that because there's dignity. One thing that Paul does, and one thing that Jesus does even better than Paul, and everything Jesus does is better than Paul, but one thing that we see this happening in is bringing dignity to those who are on the lowest rung of society. Jesus did that. The Bible says that although he was, he was at a stature equal with God, he descended and he made himself a slave. He uses the same word this here. And he died a slave's death. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus elevates the status of the lowest. Okay? So he brings that up. And, and in serving others, he actually undoes the system of servanthood. We start to see that here. And some things that we need to know here is that Paul can't come into these situations like he does uh, here in Colossians. He can't come in here and just say, uh, there needs to be no more slaves. Because at this point, um, Eugene Nida in his book, Message and Mission, says that over 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. Can you think about that? What kind of mass chaos and economic disaster would happen if all the slaves at that moment went free right away? Paul isn't concerned with that at this moment. What he's concerned with is people acting out their dignity before God. And in time, that will be undone. That will be undone. The thing we should never see is that the Bible endorses slavery. It doesn't. It deals with a system that's broken, just like our system is broken. If you think that capital consumerism is perfect, it's not. There's a lot of evils that the prophets would address and do address from our society. It's not perfect. There's no perfect system. Whenever humans are involved, the system is prone to break down. Are you with me? And so what God does is he works within that in order to undo it. He's, Jesus comes into the sinful world in order to break the power of sin. So we see this beginning to unwork. And so what Paul has to do here is he has to encourage those who do own slaves that they treat them like people and brothers and that those who are servants or slaves in that situation, that they act a certain way towards their masters. So he's dealing with this. There's a few things that we could do with this, and I, I would just encourage us in one thought that many of those who were um, slaves were slaves because they had, they had indentured themselves into slavery to get out of some kind of debt. We know that's a fact, that some people became slaves because they owed a debt they couldn't pay, and so they were working it off. So it was not exactly the same thing as what you would find in um, colonial America. Okay, so if you hear slavery here, you can't think it, this is one-to-one equal with what happened in America. It's not. This is a different system, and you can read more on that. But the thing that I want to point out here is that Paul is encouraging that there's a certain way to act before God in our situation. Okay, so what do we do with this? Should we see this as... An endorsement, slavery is okay and acceptable because here it is in Scripture. No, we don't see it that way. How do we deal with a passage like this? Do we just go, well, that's irrelevant because it was only for the first hearers. And so this portion of Scripture, it doesn't really apply to us anymore. I dare us not to say that ever of Scripture. So there must be a third approach, and I think it's this. That while this is a dealing with a specific situation, there are principles within this passage that have to do with work relationships where there is a hierarchy. Are you with me? Then in work, there's a hierarchy. If you're trying to escape hierarchy, like everybody's just going to be on this level playing field and there are no bosses and no employees, I got news for you. See, you might even say, well, that's a broken system, and one day we'll liberate ourselves from that. Maybe. And maybe we'll look back upon this day and say, man, that was really oppressive, just like we do upon the days of slavery. But but God has a word for us in the midst of our condition now. And I think it comes from this very passage where there are principles that we can apply. And if you don't think God's serious about our work, I'd like you to consider 
some things. Um, he talks about, uh, in regards to work in Scripture, do what's right for the sake of your employees and employers. Okay, work primarily for the glory of God, not for a paycheck, not for approval, not for the betterment of the world exclusively. Those are secondary motivations. The primary motivation is work for God. And so, if you don't think God's serious about this, consider Deuteronomy 24, verse 15. Listen to this. Pay them their wages each day before sunset. Now, in that system, you got your day wages for your day's work, okay? We have a different agreement now. That's okay. But the point that's being made here is pay them when it's due. Because they are poor and counting on it, otherwise they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Do you hear that? Unpaid wages, God sees as sin. Does he care about our work? Well, that's not in church. That's not at the temple. That's out in society. He doesn't care about that. No, these are the laws. In fact, you know, there are laws about how to treat slaves. There, there's issues that we can have regarding work that matter to God. Proverbs eleven eighteen: a wicked person earns deceptive wages. <laughs> What's that mean? Acting like you're working when you're not. Man, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people that are at their, I go to a store or something where people are supposed to be working, and they're on their phone. They're, they got the shirt on that says they're an employee there. They can't help you. They're too busy texting their friend. Are you with me on that? That feels to me a little bit like they're cheating their employer because they're still on the clock. And so, Folks, I know that sounds like meddling a little bit, but if you're a Christian, don't steal from your employer by stealing time. You know? A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Malachi 3.5, I will come and I will put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, listen, against those who defraud laborers their wages. I will put you on trial, and I will testify against you. He puts all the big sins in there, and then he puts what we might think of as a little sin, defrauding laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless and deprive foreigners among you of justice, who do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Luke chapter 10, verse 7, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Hosea chapter 12, verse 7, the merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. So these all have to do with living morally uh, in the marketplace. Marketplace means more than the store. It means where business is done. Three categories of dealings are addressed here. One, employee and employer. How does the employee regard the employer? Do we give our best when we're working? Or are we a little bit half-hearted and are we sloughing off? Are we stealing from them? Folks, I know this isn't all of work, but this is our jobs, and God cares about it. The second relates to employer and employee. Are we paying the fair wage to them? Are you paying a fair wage? God cares about that, that you're not defrauding those who work for you, that there's an agreement on those things. And then the buyer and the seller, these are independent parties. So there's no hierarchy in this, but it's an exchange between one person and another. Are we defrauding people? Are we selling our car without telling the people what's wrong with it? That's dishonest. That's, that's dishonest. It's wrong. God cares about things like that. 
the buyer and the seller. He cares that we do the right thing in these regards. Listen, the form of government and economy is really secondary to who we're to be as a Christian. God calls us to the dignity of work. Work for the betterment of the world. Work for the glory of God. And so we should be able to ask those questions. Does your conscience answer these simple questions? Is the work your company is doing contributing to the world in some way? If it's not, maybe we need to ask a question about it. I don't mean are there negatives. There's always going to be negatives. But is there some positive contribution that where you're working is making to the world? If not, maybe it's time to question that, whether whether you should be working there. Is your work contributing is your personal work contributing to your company in some way that honors God? Like if you're looking for ways, if your job is set apart to exclusively look for ways where you can cheat other people, that's not for you. No Christian is called to have a job in a world that's like a stripper or a gangster or a drug dealer. Right? I mean, if I mean if you're thinking about all those things, look, that's in conflict with our Christianity. We can't do those things. And so we have to check out. And then there are other things that maybe we're called upon to do and expected to do that violates our conscience. And we should never we should never do that. We don't work just to eat. Let's talk about this passage. I want to get into this so we can uh, we can pass through it and talk about it. But I want to say one of the best things that you can pass on to your kids is a Christian heritage, number one. Two, integrity. Integrity means that your words match your life. And three, a good work ethic. One of the things that I think has been robbed from our, our nation is the idea that a parent teaches a a child how to work. That just often doesn't happen anymore. That's tragic. I can't tell you how many times my dad owned his own construction company, and when he needed cheap labor, and he could justify it biblically because he bought our food and he provided for our house. You could work for free. <laughs> that would have been the reminder. But if you have plans to go play football with your friends on Saturday, no, nope. sorry, buddy. If I need you, that's what you're doing. Are you with me? And so those are the kinds of things that we grew up with, and probably many of you did too. Uh, let me mention some things here. First, work will not always be easy or enjoyable. You should expect that. And uh, that sounds naive to say, but sometimes we go in with a different expectation. Some things you will love, some things you will hate. And the grass is always greener somewhere else. But that place has its problems too. And uh, some might be thinking, are you serious? Anyone who has a job knows that. But sometimes we allow ourselves to expect things differently. And work will test your Christian character, your endurance, your integrity, your witness, your faith, your worship. And you know that based on an eight-hour day, you'll spend a fourth of your adult life at work. I know it sounds like it should be more like a third, but we get holidays off, for goodness sakes, right? And weekends... Uh, in one-seventh of your total life, childhood and retirement excluded, will be at your job. And it challenges me to think if you live differently at work, it would be like saying 42 hours out of every week I'm going to live for myself and not for God. Think of that. So we have to live for God at our job. This passage talks about some things here. I think this passage demonstrates principles that still stand after slavery has been abolished. 
as we think about what God wants for us in uh, in our lives. Hierarchy remains a fact, and if it's not ownership, it's still that somebody has to be the boss and somebody has to respond to it. The first uh, thing I want to mention here as we look at our passage, let's look at verse 20, 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. I want to generalize this and say, in saying, follow directions. At your job, follow directions. Okay? Your employer is the boss, and he's the one paying you. It's his vision. Follow directions. Obey doesn't mean that you obey blindly. If there's something that goes against the word of God or conscience, you may have to object and abstain, right? And there needs to be an agreement. Maybe that needs to be stated up front. Look, I'm a Christian, and I have to let you know that I have convictions. Christians ought to be the employees that people want the most. You understand that? <laughs> There's this book called Fire from Heaven by Harvey Cox. Back in the 60s, he wrote this book called The Secular City. And what he basically was saying was that Christianity is dying. It's dying. Back in the 60s. And God is dead, and it's proved by the fact that culture is in decline. Well, he got challenged by that. He taught at Harvard. And uh, in the 90s, he did some research, and he found out not only is Christianity alive, but it's thriving. He said, maybe not in, the, in North America, but around the world, it's thriving. And guess what he found out? The Pentecostals are the most thriving part of the Christian community. So he did some research on this, and he went to different places. He went to Italy and South America and um, different places through Europe and found out some things. And one of the things he says about um, church in South America, listen to this. He says, the Pentecostal faith strictly forbids drunkenness, carousing, and infidelity. Consequently, uh, Pentecostals have gained a reputation for sobriety, punctuality, and honesty. They are sought after as employees, even by people who find their religion peculiar. Do you hear what that's saying? That's saying that even though some people have a distaste for their Christianity, people are getting hired because they turn out to be good workers. There's a tribe in Mexico, and I think I have it in my notes somewhere, but it, this is the best place to mention it. Is that their whole goal is when people get saved, they believe that God has sanctified their hands for work and their minds for thinking. And so they've set out to be the most educated and hardest working people in their communities as a result of their faith. We think oftentimes, I thought this, because I love God, it gives me a little bit of an excuse to check out. <laughs> How wrong is that? We ought to be the best workers because it's part of our witness. If you can be counted on, it's part of your witness. The witness of Daniel was like this. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, the king talked to them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Ten times better. Now, that comes down to the fact God gifted them in extraordinary ways, but they use that gifting for his glory. What's God gifted you with? Is it, is it unfair to expect that Christians ought to be the most trustworthy employees? Is that un, unreasonable? I don't think so. 
or the most reliable workers? Man, let's bring work into the church for a moment. What about it comes to volunteer work? Is that as under the Lord or is that for somebody else? Because I'll tell you what can often happen. I don't get paid for this job, so I can be as flaky as I want to be. It's to the Lord. Follow directions is the first thing. It may not be total obedience, but whenever there's leadership of that kind, where conscience isn't violated, then we should serve to the best of our ability. Notice uh, the second thing here. This is in 22. Obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry favor, but with sincerity and heart and reverence for the Lord. So the next thing he says, we're to work not just when people are watching and for their eyes. Are you with me? This, this calls for consistency of character. I'm not just doing it and working hard because you're watching what I'm doing. I'm working because I'm supposed to be working. God is always watching. Okay? So we might think when we go to our jobs, whether we're employer, employee, it doesn't matter what we do as long as the boss, if the boss comes by, we've got to look busy. You do a George Costanza where you look real angry and agitated so that they think that you're working. We don't want to be like that. We want to be the kind of people that are consistent. He says, work not as people pleasers who are serving the I. It's, uh, the actual word there is for people pleasers is I slave. Isn't that interesting? Not as an I slave. You're working as their servant when their eyes are on you. And as a people pleaser to curry favor. But then he says we're to work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Notice this in verse 22 and 23 here. Not when their eye is on you to curry favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Sincerity of heart here uh, means a singleness of heart. It's not just so much having uh, a visible attitude where people can see what's going on on the inside, where sincerity might be that which is uh, truly expressed. But here, sincerity is talking about the singleness of heart and purpose. That you, you work with the singleness of heart and purpose. Why are you working? Get through the day to get your paycheck? Put food on the table? Secondary reasons. Primary reason, we're working with singleness of heart to the Lord. And that comes no matter whether we're working a job or working in some other area of life. We ought to do what we do with excellence for him. Folks, God help us. We can divide things up into so many different categories of priority and say, this is not important. I'm not going to do that with excellence. We could talk about that, but the point that I'm, I'm talking about here is in regards to the work that we're called to do, work at it with sincerity of heart, a singleness of heart. And he goes on to say, with reverence for the Lord, fear of God here. Verse 23 is a restatement of that very thing. Look at what it says in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Okay, so are we going to throw this passage out or are we going to draw the principle? If we're going to draw the principle out of it, it's this, that when you answer to your boss, you're not just answering your boss. You're, you're not just working for them, working for God. 
man, we need to get it, don't we? Our, our kids need to get it, that there's purpose in life that's greater than video games. There's purpose in life that's greater than living in imaginary worlds, and we can live in this virtual reality and miss the real reality, right? That's where purpose is truly lived out. Notice in verse 25 and verse 1b that God oversees the whole institution. He didn't condone the slavery that was happening, but he oversees how people treat one another and operate within it. Because whatever your circumstance is, there's a way in which you can honor God and not honor God. Right? I mean, look at throughout history, some people didn't marry for love. They married because they were forced into it. So let me ask you, what's the proper response to that? To honor God or not honor God? It's to honor God in it, even though it wasn't the preferable choice, even though there was perhaps an oppression in it, there's still a way in which that can be lived out in a way that honors God. And if we think only in terms of this world, we're going to often be frustrated because our reward often isn't just in this life. There is a reward in this life. How many agree to that, that following God has its own rewards in this life? Okay, amen. Good. But do you know that there's also God seeing what you're doing at work may have a consequence on how you're rewarded in eternity. I don't mean that you're working for your salvation. That's Jesus' work. I'm saying that when you respond to your situation and work in a way that honors God, you're building up equity in heaven. You're storing up your treasure in heaven because God sees it. Wouldn't it be great if you both got a paycheck and God said, well done. Man, you really took a lemon of a situation and made lemonade out of it. I love you for it. And, of course, he loves us anyway. But what a, what a wonderful thing to be able to hear from the Lord. God oversees this whole institution. And verse 24 tells us what work is about. Look at verse 24 with me. It says here, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. I think that's interesting. It tells us what works about. It's about serving Christ. Do you see that it says the Lord Christ? Does that sound unusual to you? Lord Christ? I mean, what do we normally hear there? Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, our Lord? How many times do you think in the New Testament it says Lord Christ? Two times. And both of them... Within the immediate context, it talks about serving, and it uses a particular word. The word isn't usually for serving. would be something like uh, latreo, which is a, a word that talks about yielding service of some kind. But the word that's in near proximity is a verb related to doulos, slave. You're serving the Lord Christ. It's the equivalent of saying, your master is not that master. Your master is Christ. Or, if we need it in our terms, though I think it's watered down a little bit, your boss is not your boss. Jesus is your boss. He's your master. It's him. It's him that you're serving. These, uh, If you want to know the other reference, it's Romans 16, 18. In both contexts, it's having to do with serving. So in the light of all of that, how well do we work? See, we have a vocation in life. I think that 
sometimes that's well known to us, and sometimes we're finding it, and maybe we're working our way through what it is God's called us to. The number one vocation you have is loving God and living for his glory. That's your number one vocation. Okay, that's prior to your political affiliation. It's prior to your um, prior to your job. It's priority commitment to family. Your number one vocation is what? Sir, it's the Lord. Okay. So then after that, I think God finds a way. If we're really looking to him, he finds a way to plug us into his world to be useful. And that can happen both by our seeking that out, but also a little bit of it is his sovereign placement. Like he puts us in situations where we can be useful. So think about this for a moment. That he's put us in those kinds of places. There's three times in life. There's a book uh, called Courage and Calling by Gordon Smith. If you haven't read it, it's, it's worth reading. Just with everything else, eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? Gordon Smith, Courage and Calling. He says three times in life we come, we're confronted with our vocation. In that transition between adolescence and adulthood, we have to figure out what we're going to do. Then he says, at middle age, there's a narrowing that takes place. And I find this to be true. That where you're you're coming to terms with what is it specifically that I'm doing, and then in older age there's a letting go of some of the responsibilities and expectations of others, but there's a great work to be done, and he thinks primarily that that work is a work of blessing, and a work of uh, encouragement of others. Okay, a blessing and encouragement. That doesn't mean you're checking out. It means that all of life's experience needs to be needs to be passed to another generation. It needs to happen because if that doesn't happen, then we have judges all over again. The book of Judges, I mean. So there's uh, an important part of our calling here to serve the Lord. And if we're not doing if we're not serving the Lord in this kind of way, how are we doing it? How are we working? There's always hierarchy in life. You'll have to answer to somebody. There's that system you can never get away from. I mean, you might think if I just become the despot of some little island somewhere and everybody has to answer to me, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? And all the you could train all the monkeys to bring you bananas. Be the king of your own little monkey island. Uh, you still, at the end of the day, have to answer to God how you've handled your life. So there's no escape in it. You might need to speak up when things are not right or when they're unfair. You shouldn't do anything to violate conscience, but we need to give our lives to God in this regard. The Bible says that the Lord oversees this and he doesn't show favoritism. He gives an inheritance without favoritism. This is my last thought. We're done. Is that... um, you might uh, work at your job, and you might be among the boss's favorites, or you might be among the least favorites. And we know that within a human system, that can mean something. Better pay, better promotion, worse pay, worse, you know, demotion, fi- getting fired, <laughs> whatever that might be. You might just get excluded. You might, they might not have grounds to fire you, but you might just get excluded. And you're feeling that you're a victim of an unjust system. And probably that's true, and that's true of all of us in one place or another. 
But here's the thing that I want to come to is that you receive an inheritance from the master who sees it all and shows no favoritism. You're not getting passed over. It's only temporary because God sees it all. You're not getting overlooked. God sees it all, and he will set all things right. Is this life unfair? This life's unfair. But how God judges us will bring equity. Do you understand that? That it's not a matter of who has more or less. It's a matter of how have you served God with what he's given you or what situation you've been placed in. Because then when you've done that, we're going to get to a place where the, the playing field will be leveled in a sense and we'll all get in response to what we've responded to him, desserts. Now, again, I need to make sure this is said because undoubtedly somebody will come and say, well, you think we're working for... So I don't think that. I do think God rewards us according to how we live. We will face a judgment. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says we all stand before the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll give an account for things done in the body. Every one of us will answer to him. It says to some they will escape with nothing to show for their lives, but they'll escape as having just been one who came through the fire. You got into heaven, but I really didn't do anything for you, Lord. Sad. But there are going to be those who are going to say, well done. You took, the, you took the talent I gave you and you multiplied it. Well done. God cares about our work. This has been probably a little bit disjointed here today. It's a difficult message. I've got to be honest with you, I wasn't excited about preaching it. I like to be excited about what I'm going to preach. I wasn't excited about this. But I feel there's a responsibility that we have, and we have to our kids, Christian kids, to show them what it means to be Christians, that we honor God with our work. We don't do it half-heartedly. We don't do it for when people are watching. We do it because it matters to God. And this is part of our calling to stewardship his creation. I don't know if you can find the connection, but I guarantee you, Somewhere in the job you're doing, if it's a job that can be done in good conscience, there's a connection to the betterment of the world God's put us in. And if there's not, we need to think about what we're doing. God help us. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Thanks for your gracious attention. The subject's not easy. But I hope that you'll be inspired and see glory in the mundane. There's glory in the mundane. Do you know Jesus worked? The Bible calls him, the title about him was technia. This means builder of some kind. We don't know exactly what kind, but I tend to think, some people think he could have been a carpenter with wood. Some people think he was a stonemason because the word technia can stretch to that. I think he built farming implements. That, that word fits that. What it means is that he built plows and yokes and things that helped the farming community because he lived on the edge of the Jezreel Valley where there was farming to be done. Not a lot of population, so I don't imagine a lot of houses or cabinets were being built. Lots of farming equipment would have been gone through. I don't care to argue that. What I care about most is that somebody somewhere had Jesus build something for them. You think it was good or bad? The best. You think Jesus did shoddy work? Do you think anybody ever came to him and said, you cheated me? No. He's the best worker. God's the best worker. We're his children.
my dad would probably threaten me and say, if you go to work for somebody, you remember, you're George Kerr's son. We don't, we don't rip people off. God, help us. We're God's children. Thanks for your attention again. Let's bow our heads, take a moment here. Would you do this today? You can respond by coming to the altar if you want, but maybe in your place, because I think this, this has a calling for everybody, a vocation for everyone. Would you say, God, take my work and be glorified in it? Tomorrow, when you're filing paperwork or doing something that's a boring task, I want God to come and remind you there's glory in it. There's joy in it. This is for the Lord. This isn't for your boss. This is for Jesus. Let's live unto him in every area, not at home only, not at church only, at our job, in the marketplace, wherever we find ourselves. Let it be to God's glory. Father, we want to commit our work to you. Would you be glorified in it? There are some that may be here that are wrestling with what to do in regards to vocation. I pray, God, you would make it clear if there's a next step to be taken. And if they're to remain and to work with diligence and to persevere, I pray you give them the fortitude to do that because it'll be to our character growth. We look to you as our provider, not to our boss. You take care of us. That You've called us to dignify work and to honor you in it. So we give it to you. Make that personal. Lord, I give you my job. I give you my work. I give you my volunteering. I give you my efforts, my sweat, blood, and tears. I give that to you. It's all yours. Seeing that as worship, Lord, I want to make a commitment today. I'm not going to be half-hearted in my work. I'm not going to be dishonest in my work. I'm not going to be doing it for the pleasing of other people and only when their eyes are on us. I'm going to be doing it full throttle for you. Take it, we pray, and be honored in it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let me add to that. Lord, um, we ask you to bless our work and make it profitable. Help it to benefit our company, our city, our nation. Lord, help us in some way to be honoring you in what we do. And uh, we just commit it to you, Lord, for that end. Be glorified in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you're blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.